0: Hear now the word of the living God found in Luke chapter 20 and verse 9. Then Jesus began to speak to the people this parable. A certain man planted a vineyard and led it forth to husbandmen and went into a far country for a long time. And at the season he sent a servant to the husbandmen that they should give him of the fruit of the vineyard but the husbandmen beat him and sent him away empty. And again he sent another servant and they beat him also and entreated him shamefully and sent him away empty. And again he sent a third and they wounded him also and cast him out. Then said the Lord of the vineyard, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. It may be they will reverence him when they see him. But when the husbandmen saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. What, therefore, shall the Lord of the vineyard do unto them? He shall come and destroy these husbandmen and shall give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, they said, God forbid. And he beheld them and said, what is then this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, the same is become the head of the corner. Whosoever shall fall on that stone shall be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And the chief priests and the scribes, the same hour, sought to lay hands on Jesus. And they feared the people, for they perceived that he had spoken this parable against them. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, we do give thee thanks for thy word. We ask that thou wouldst be pleased to speak thy word to us as your servants. And I ask, O Lord, that thou wouldst open my mouth, that I might proclaim glorious things out of thy word. And may our hearts be receptive. And may we indeed receive this King as we hear his word preached this morning. We ask these things in the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Well, as we have found in our study of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus loved to tell stories. Sadly, there are those who think that every sermon should be a story. But the story that Jesus told, or the parables that he told, always had a lesson and a point to them. And as we come to this particular parable of the wicked husbandman or the talents, we find here that this is not, even though Jesus calls it a parable, even though he begins by speaking this parable, it's a little different than all the other parables that we have seen. Because parables generally have one message. They generally have a couple of points, two or three points. They have one general message. But here this particular parable is unique in that it's included in all three gospel accounts, in, every, in most every detail. And it also is a little different in the fact that there is hyperbole, there is simile, there's a language that's used that is not necessarily typical of a parable. And yet, as we have seen already, we have to be careful in our interpretation of parables that we do not draw from them, what the Lord has not intended. And so as we come to this particular parable, we see that the essence of this parable speaks of that rejected chief cornerstone, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you're following the outline that's been provided, we discover here the first point, that the Lord as he gives this parable to the people, says that he establishes his vineyard. There in verse 8, Jesus had told the scribes, Pharisees, and elders when they asked him, by what authority do you do these things? He says, well, let me ask you, where did John's authority come from? And he said, we have not a clue. And Jesus says, I have no answer for you. I will not tell you by what authority I do these things. And Jesus immediately goes in to telling this parable. It's as if they're hit between the eyes because this whole section in the ministry of Jesus there in Jerusalem as he's in that final uh, week of his life He is there in Jerusalem ministering daily to the people. And as he's ministering daily to the people, he's reminding them that his authority comes from God. And yet, even though his authority comes from God, he will continue to experience the the conflict. He will continue to experience the, the rejection. And the conflict particularly always comes from religious leaders. I've always been intrigued in my own ministry that most of the conflict comes from religious people within the church. The conflict comes from those who claim to be elders and rulers and and ministers within the courts of God's church. And yet here, as we find, it is the very ones within the visible church that often question the authority of Jesus. Now, they're always subtle. They don't directly attack his authority. They don't say, well, Jesus is not the Son of God. He's not been raised from the dead. But they will indeed reject his authority by how they live their lives. And that's really the heart of what Jesus is saying here. If you claim to be chief priests and scribes and elders of the church of Israel, if you claim to uphold the law of God, then where does your authority come from? He's really challenging them because his authority comes from God just as John the Baptist's authority comes from God. And so he challenges them further with responding to him in this way. He asserts his authority as the son of God. He responds to their challenges and to them as religious leaders. And so we come to this passage and Jesus challenges them by the use of a parable. There in verse 9, he began to speak to the people this parable. So whom is Jesus speaking to? Sometimes Luke identifies that he's speaking to Pharisees. He's speaking to scribes. But here he says he's speaking to the people. Now the people can include all of those that were gathered around the outer courts of the temple in Jerusalem. They were there for Passover. And so... No one could go within the inner courts. Everyone was on the outside, the outer court. All the people were gathered there. And so everyone would hear him. The chief priests, the scribes, the elders, the average layman are all gathered there within the outer courts. And Jesus speaks to them this parable. That's interesting as Jesus speaks this parable to them. That parable had application to all of them. And we see here that this parable had application to them. But later, the Jews, the religious leaders questioned, is he speaking this parable against us? Really? Yes, he is. He's speaking that parable against all whom Jesus was speaking to as he was daily ministering there. So even as we wait, make our way through this historical account of Luke's gospel, let us never, ever go away thinking, that was a nice little message. Because everything is given for our instruction and for our edification. And so what does the Lord speak to us? And so there. are There are three things here in this passage of Scripture that the Lord Jesus speaks about in this parable. First of all, he says that it is the Lord himself who establishes the vineyard which is really the the key to the heart to understanding this parable. Now this parable is a little more detailed. It's a little difficult to unpack. But as he <clears throat> tells this parable to the people. He tells of a certain man. He doesn't identify this, this man, but he says a certain man planted a vineyard. And that was typical of the, the agrarian culture in which we, they lived in. They, were, they planted vineyards. They planted fields. And so they would plant a vineyard for the harvesting of grapes, for wine. And as... That vineyard was planted. Matthew's gospel is only gives one different detail that Luke doesn't give, and that is Matthew says that as he built that um, vineyard, he built a wall around it. And the significance of that wall was for the protection of the vineyard. And so here in the parable, the the vineyard represents particularly Israel. It represents the church under Israel. So this parable obviously is being intended for these Jews, particularly for the religious leaders. But its application goes far beyond them. For it has lessons, as J.C. Ryle reminds us, it has lessons which are to be remembered in all the churches of Christ, even the church under the old administration and then the church under the gospel age. And so, as Jesus tells the story, he tells of that certain man who planted that vineyard, put a wall around it to protect it, and he let it go forth to husbandmen. Husbandmen were those who would care for. The vineyard. Interestingly enough, Luke uses that word husbandmen in the plural sense to refer to rulers. Like husbands are rulers of their homes. So these husbandmen were rulers within God's vineyard. And so clearly the Lord established the vineyard. We see even in the Old Testament, in time does not allow us to go into all the particulars. But even under the Old Testament, Israel was called a vineyard. And so here we see that the people of God, and you see this in Isaiah chapter 5, and you can look at this on your own, Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, the husbandmen were like tenant farmers. They were those who were given charge over that vineyard. And so the wall would protect them, but they were to further protect those within the vineyards, and they were to administer those things as the owner was gone. It says, a certain man planted a vineyard, let it forth to these husbandmen or these caretakers or these rulers, and he went into a far country for a long time. And so here he shows that as the Lord plants this vineyard, as the Lord continues to prune that vineyard, he grants unto them those who would till it, those who would care for it, those who would care for the people within that vineyard. And so beginning here, Luke is very clear that... The Lord Jesus Christ states that his vineyard has been established, but there are those in that vineyard who were wicked husbandmen, were wicked rulers. They did not treat the people well. They did not judge rightly according to God's law. They didn't judge with right kind of justice. And so all of that is condemned. And in Matthew's account of the gospel, when Jesus gives the woes, when Jesus gives the curses to Israel, he's saying, you have rejected his law. You have rejected what God has told you. You have sent wicked leaders among the people. And that's really the heart of this parable. That as the Lord established his vineyard and left it in the care of husbandmen many of them were wicked and here is a real key as J.C. Ryle reminds us of the deep abiding corruption of human nature here he shows the conduct of these wicked husbandmen it is as J.C. Ryle says a vivid representation of man's dealings with God it is a faithful picture of the history of the Jewish faith in spite of all of the privileges in spite of all of the favor that God had granted unto Israel in spite of of how he cared for them and gathered them like chicks they allowed those wicked and corrupt husbandmen to rise up within their midst. But it's interesting that J.C. Ryle says this is a faithful picture of the history of the Jewish church. A faithful picture because it's true. Everything that God gave to Israel, they turned away from. And they invited these wicked and despicable priests and scribes and elders to rule within their midst. And here Jesus, right from the very beginning, and it's very subtle, but right from the very beginning, he, he speaks this warning to them. Here's a lesson for us that even in spite of the privileges that we have as covenant people, even in spite of the privileges that your children have, Oftentimes, people turn away from the Lord and reject Him. And oftentimes, they do so to their own peril. But oftentimes, in spite of the privileges that no other nation had, Israel was one nation set apart to be holy. Israel was called a holy nation, a people separated unto God, and yet they rejected Him. They rejected His word, and they allowed these wicked husbandmen to rise up within their midst. But there's a second thing we learn from this parable, and that is the rejection of His prophets. There in verse 9 as the vineyard is planted and the husbandmen are set forth and the owner goes on a long journey, he states there in verse 10, at the season, the right time, he sent a servant to the husbandmen that they should give him of the fruit of the vineyard. Now notice here in verse 10, that as the servant... Is given to the husbandman. And he gives of the fruit of the vineyard. This servant is faithful. This servant is given his life. And how does the husbandman treat him? They treat him by beating him. And sending him away empty. But notice three times. A servant is sent. A servant is sent there in verse 10. A servant is sent in verse 11. Again, he sent another servant, and they beat him also. And treated him shamefully, and sent him away empty. This is a picture of Israel's history. This is a picture of the church. And again, he sent a third servant, and they wounded him also, and cast him out. Isn't it ironic that every time a servant is sent within the vineyard, they are treated with with shame, they're treated with with beatings and and scourgings and, and casting them out. It's a, it's a horrid picture of the depravity even of these wicked husbandmen, because in their dealings with God they show that they do not have lawful authority that they do not have authority that comes from God because if they mistreat the servants in this way it indicates that they do not have any regard for the people and so as we make our way through here we see particularly in these three servants that are seen in verses 10 through 12 three times a servant is sent This is a picture of the prophets that had been sent to Israel. In fact, that is one of the sins that is given to Israel. The charge that's given to Israel is that you have rejected the prophets. You've even killed them. And in killing the prophets, in rejecting them, they have rejected the Lord of the vineyard. And their authority is not rightful. We live in a day and age, even within the visible church, when there are those who reject authority. We live in a generation that rejects lawful authority. We will not have anyone ruling over us. And that's really what Israel was saying. We will not have these prophets come and tell us what to do. Who are you to judge me? That's really the the heart of, of what Jesus is showing here. And so they come and with all of their, their uh, false doctrine and all of their practices and all of their violations of, of God's law, it is what J.C. Ryle describes as a mournful fact that in their hardness, their unbelief, their superstition, and their self-righteousness, they, like many churches, have turned away from the Lord and rejected God. His prophets. But in rejecting them, the Lord sent painful correction to the Jewish church. He sent painful correction in many ways, in judgments and sending them in the wilderness and in, in, um, in taking away some of their privileges and, and all of that. And so they, they received chastisement from the Lord. And we need to be careful as well that we do not reject the prophets that the Lord God has sent to us. We have inscripturated or written in the word of God, the words of the prophets. They are warnings to us. And so we are not to reject them. But notice there, they reject all three of those servants. But then in verse 13, the Lord of the vineyard says, what shall I do? I will send them my beloved son. It may be that they will reverence him when they see him. When the husbandmen saw him, I almost imagine Luke emphasizing him. But when the husbandmen saw him, they reasoned among themselves saying, this is the heir, come let us kill him that the inheritance may be ours. And you know what picture comes to my mind? The life of Joseph. Let's kill him. Let's let's send him off. We don't want him to receive the inheritance. And so the husbandmen reason among themselves that they will kill this beloved son who was sent unto them. And here Jesus is impressing upon them because he's coming to that climactic end of his life and ministry when he will suffer, be rejected, and die. He is impressing upon them that the Son of Man will indeed be rejected. That in this rejection, they will indeed turn away from him. In fact, they will kill him. That is what we see in our passage here this morning. They sought, in verse 19, to lay hands upon him. That's not the first time they sought to kill him. But they could not because of the fear of the people, because of the crowd. And so here, they see the rejection of the Son. All of the rejection of the prophets. Now in the rejection of the Son of God, to reject Christ is the far greater sin. It is the depth of human depravity to reject the Lord Jesus Christ. But in our day, we don't reject him. You know what we do? We just redefine who he is. He gets us. So let's let's make this Jesus into a God of our own making. And so we have all kinds of ideas of who this Jesus is. But Jesus revealed to his disciples, and they still haven't fully understood it, that the Son of Man will be rejected. That he will suffer, die, rise again on the third day. He impresses that upon them, because they indeed will reject him. But then in the third point of the parable, Jesus speaks of The judgment. What shall I do? Maybe I will send my son. But when they sought to kill him. Notice verse 15. They cast him out of the vineyard. And killed him. What therefore shall the Lord of the vineyard. Do unto them. It's a striking question. That Jesus asks. What will the Lord of the vineyard do unto them? He is the owner. He is the sovereign. He is the Lord. He is the king. What would he rightly do? Verse 16. Jesus is always direct. Jesus never beats around the bush. He shall come and destroy these husbandmen and give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, they said, No, God forbid, may it never be. It's the same word that Paul uses in Romans. God forbid. In other words, no, it can't happen. The Lord will not destroy his vineyard, will he? And so as he answers their question... He looks at them in verse 17 and and he beheld them and said, What is this then that is written in Psalm 118? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. It's interesting as Jesus is standing there and 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 he has passed judgment upon them. It's really in judgment against the whole crowd. They're all identified in that betrayal. But that word beheld them, beheld them is that word that indicates there's a serious intent. That he's looking directly at them and saying, what do you think he should do? He shall come and destroy them. No, no. He looks directly at them and he says, well, then what is this passage? in Psalm 118 mean? And so in their their, um, refusal to admit that God will judge those hateful and wicked uh, husbandmen, he says, well, let me remind you of that verse that the stone which the builders rejected The same has become the head of the corner. Jesus knew their hearts. He knew the hearts of every one of them. And here in this passage we see in the rejection of Christ that this compassionate and merciful Savior who went about doing good and doing mighty deeds, that he was despised and rejected. But it was prophesied that he would be rejected. Not only was it prophesied, it was ordained of God before the foundation of the world that he would be rejected. And when Jesus appeals to Psalm 118, by his authority as the Son of God, he is telling them that I am the stone. That the builders rejected. And I will become the chief cornerstone. The religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the elders are standing there, and they're standing there close. They don't want to just be off in the distant crowd, they want to stand close. They're hearing this, and they know the scriptures. They know that the scriptures prophesy that the Messiah would come. They knew everything about Christ. They knew the prophecy of the suffering servant in Isaiah. But you know what? Sometimes the greatest skeptics and unbelievers are those who rise up within the church and know the scriptures and and yet reject the truth. And that is the far greater judgment for us. To know the scriptures and yet to reject it. Perhaps even out of our own ranks there might be some will reject Christ and his truth and yet here Christ shows his great humiliation in the fact that he was rejected he was cast out he was killed and that even as he was killed he reminds them of his glorious exaltation I want to draw your attention quickly to Hebrews chapter 13 I think this is a wonderful um, verse to bring out. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 11 through 12. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned "...without or outside the camp. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without or outside the gate." And here the writer of Hebrews shows that the Lord abolishes the Old Testament ceremonial laws under the New Covenant... And that Christ is the only sacrifice that is made. But notice Hebrews states that Christ suffered outside the gate of the city. Notice in Luke's account there in verse 15. What do they do? They cast him out of the vineyard. To be cast out was to mean... That we despise him. To cast him out means that he's not one of ours. To cast him out means that we want nothing to do with him. And yet Jesus allowed himself to be cast out. That he might become that perfect sacrifice for sinners. But Jesus shows his humiliation and his rejection. But he shows it also in his exaltation. The reward of his exaltation is there in Philippians chapter 2 verses 9 and 10. That he was for a season made low. but Now he is exalted. He is set high and he becomes that rock of stumbling and the head of the corner. He is the one who is the chief cornerstone of. He is the one who fulfills the plan of God. He is the head and corner of his glorious work. And so in that exaltation we see the reward of his humiliation. but We see the result of his exaltation. That he will draw sinners unto himself. As Moses lifted up a bronze serpent in the wilderness. So the son of man will be lifted up. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And so this rock, Jesus says, On whom this one, whoever falls upon him, verse 18, shall be broken. But whosoever it shall fall, he will grind him to powder. Two things there quickly. First of all, to fall upon the Lord Jesus Christ and be broken can mean two things. And it does mean two things. Mean to be broken, that he breaks us because of our sin, because of our rebellion, because of our stubborn, wicked hearts. He breaks us, and so we are broken. But it also means broken in the sense that to fall upon the Lord Jesus Christ means to be broken in humility, That we come to see him as the one on whom we have fallen. The one who will heal us in our brokenness. But on on whomsoever it shall fall, that's the greater judgment, it shall grind him to powder. Again, speaking of the work of Christ and his exaltation. That he will destroy those who stumble over him in unbelief. He He will break those who reject him. So how should we build? Well, we should know our own hearts. Our hearts are desperately wicked. We cannot know them. But we must know our own hearts. And we must build upon this rock, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who will either crush or break us. And we indeed must receive him because he alone is the one who gives us life. By way of application, again, this parable applies to Israel. It applies to us also. The warnings and the promises were given through the prophets. But how do we respond to this Jesus? Do we just go through the motions of religious life? Do we just go through the outward trappings of Christianity? Or is there a change of mind and heart? Because we condemn the Pharisees and the scribes for their false religion, their outward religion. But oftentimes we can have a religion that's very outward, very surface. But how do we respond? The warnings are given. Promises Are made, but are we incapable of rejecting him? Some would say, Oh, yes, we are incapable of rejecting him. I'm a Christian, I could never reject Christ. And yet, that's the point of the parable. We can certainly reject Christ. Do we see the beginnings of that rejection in our own hearts? How do we see that rejection? We see that rejection in just our lackadaisical, day-to-day, mundane order of life. We go through the motions. We don't have any heart for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can reject him within our own hearts in those small things, in, in just rejecting what we hear preached. Oh, that preacher's gone meddling again. I can't take it. Or we can reject the word that tells us what we are to do. We can reject the authority of the church. There's so many ways we can reject the Lord God. We can reject the warnings of parents. We can reject the warnings of those who are in authority over us. David saw his own sin while he was condemning another man's sin. And there in 2 Samuel 12, the prophet came and told him of a man just like David. What did David, how did David respond? Oh, that man should should be put to death. The prophet Nathan looked directly at him and said, you are that man. So we may think we're safe because of what lies within our hearts. But friends, be watchful over your own soul. Pray that you do not fall because of the hardness of your own hearts. One thing we see in this generation and it's increasing day by day is that even children are now falling away from the Lord. Children are rejecting the Lord. Children are turning to destructive things in their lives. They're turning to dangerous things in their rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And even for children here, there's a warning that you must turn to Christ before the day of judgment. Because there is a day coming when the Lord Jesus will judge the living and the dead. And in that day, he will judge the hearts of all men. So as we think upon this parable this morning, how do you respond to Christ? What do you think of this Christ? Because those who fall upon him shall be broken. And those who are broken, he will heal. And I would plead this morning under the preaching of God's word, that if you do not know Christ, that if you've not received him by faith, oh, I would urge you to come and to cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because those who come to him, he will never cast away. May we pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we do give thee thanks this morning that you've given us warnings, but you have given us promises. And we thank you that all of the promises in you are yes and amen. We thank you for the warnings and for the the chastisement that you bring. We ask that you would give us hearts that would receive thy word, that we would receive it not out of neglect that we would receive it not out of rejection or arrogance or pride, but that in humility we would fall upon that stone that we might become servants of God. And so bless this word to the hearts of those who listen this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.